Do you know a family looking to enrich their children's Jewish learning? Some families cannot send their children to private Jewish day school. Many Jewish parents today homeschool, but still need a solution that offers their children serious Jewish learning. Kita is the online Jewish classroom for families. Built for Jewish families looking for serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. With Kita, middle school aged children receive three Khan Academy style lessons each week and also participate in a weekly Zoom lesson. Students in Kita this year are learning Chumash Bamidbar, Mishnah Sukkah, and Gemara Brachot. And we're soon starting a new course in Navish Mual Aleph. Students can join some of the courses or all of them. Now is a great time to try our Kita. Don't wait for the fall and lose another half year of critical Torah skills and learning. To learn more about how Kita can help your children grow and thrive in Jewish learning, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Everybody. Welcome to our latest edition of RZ Weekly. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rav Johnny Solomon. Hello, Rav Johnny. Shalom, hello. You're, he's the uh, virtual rabbi. We're here with Rav Nit Malibrovsky. Hello, Rav Nit Malibrovsky. Hello. Hello, Rav Nit Malibrovsky is a field advisor and a social worker for Wurzweiler and a teacher at uh, Midrashot, specifically uh, focusing in Machshev Israel. We are very honored. We, we did our short, short I'm Ruben Spolter. I'm the director of the Remoning Teacher Training, training Program at Herzog College and uh, work at Sohar, et cetera, et cetera. Now we're skipping over our, our bios because we have the uh, great honor of welcoming to our podcast Rav Yoni Rosenzweig. Rav Yoni is the rabbi of the Netzach Menashe community in Beit Shemesh. He's a Ram in Midrash at Lindenbaum and the founder of Magle Nefesh, an institute addressing mental health in Jewish law. He has smicha, wrote a ton of books, et cetera, et cetera. You should look them up on your own. But most importantly, uh, we invited a Rav Yoni to talk to us because he recently published a book called Nafshi B'She'elati, a book on halakha and mental health. Has it been translated to English yet, Rav Yoni? Um, we're hoping early 2023. Okay, so first of all, welcome. Thank you for, thank you for joining us on, on the RZ Weekly Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me very much. Okay, so this book is, is making very good, very important waves in the religious Zionist world, the Hebrew reading world. Uh, it's, it's obviously new. You've, you've created an entire genre. So for those of us, for the vast majority, we're the English-speaking religious public who have yet to see your book, who have yet to read your book. What's the book about? And what sort of prompted you to decide, I better write a book about halacha and mental health? So um, it's a very good question because people do ask me that all the time. When I tell them that I'm involved with halacha and mental health, many people, uh, after they say, oh, really interesting, their second question is, what actually is that? What questions are there in halacha and mental health? So uh, the answer is many questions. Um, I could ask, uh, you know, whether a person can listen to music on Shabbat if they're suffering from depression, anxiety, or eating disorder, a question that I, by the way, receive almost on a weekly basis. Um, whether a person needs to respect parents who have uh, abused 
that individual um, uh, verbally, mentally, physically, sexually. Um, you know, whether uh, someone who is suffering from anorexia needs to fast on Yom Kippur, um, and so forth and so forth. Uh, therapists, uh, can he use a phone on Shabbat in order to be in touch with patients? Um, can you provide couples therapy to people who are, uh, you know, whose relationship is against halacha, um, you know, etc. There, there, there are so many questions that really come up. I could go on and on, um, but that's that. How did I get into this? I received such questions about five years ago as a community rabbi, and I did what every good rabbi does in these situations. He opens up svarim, he opens up books to see, you know, what the answers are. And what I found was, of course, that there aren't any books. Um, it's not that you can't find uh, articles here and there. It's not that I'm claiming that no one before me has ever paskened on these issues, but it's usually word of mouth. Um, so I figured it's uh, high time. You know that it uh, that, that it gets done, and together with a friend of mine, a psychiatrist, Dr. Shmuel Harris, uh, we wrote the book together. All right. So interesting. So you know, ra every rabbi gets some questions like these, but at some point you started. How did it become that people started to hear about and turn to you for questions like these? Ad kidekach that you had enough material to write a book. Right. Uh, I think what happened is, and I <laughs> I think about this often because your question is, I'll I'll sharpen your question. All right. At, at the end of the day, right, why is it so important to people what I'm doing? I asked myself that question, too. It kind of like exploded over Facebook and went beyond that. And let's, let's be clear. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't solve people's problems, right? I'm just offering halachic solutions, but they're not a solution to the pro The main problem. You need to go to a therapist. You need to go to a professional, you know, et cetera, if you want. So, so what am I doing that at the end of the day you could say, oh, some people like uh, to, to, to look into a tchelet. Some people like the Beit HaMikdash. Some people like, uh, you know, other things. And I'm, I'm into health. It's a niche issue, isn't it? And the answer to this question is that the moment that I started talking about it uh, on social media in the way that I started talking about it, I think what, what it meant to people was that I was breaking the stigma. I think what it meant to people was that I was normalizing the conversation. In other words, when you go to a, a panel discussion or something, and you hear a psychologist or a psychiatrist talk about these issues, even if it's subconsciously, but you say to yourself, okay, but that's his field. Like, okay, that's what he's interested in. So, of course, he's talking about those things. Like, okay, like that doesn't mean I have to be interested in those things. I mean, it was very interesting talk, but then I can, now I can go on with my life because anyone who's dealing with mental health challenges does it behind closed doors, in the office, in the psych ward, etc., etc. When I talk about it, People are like, oh, it's in the community. You mean, you mean it's like it's all around us. It normalizes the conversation. It breaks down the barriers. I think, after thinking about it a long time, I think that's what people saw in that. And because I was talking about it so openly, so like you said, I'm sure many rabbis before me received the questions, but they still dealt with it within their Dalit Amos, within their own room, within their own, uh, you know, like uh, uh, echo chamber. And they didn't, they didn't put it out there. That, I think, was the change. So in your book, are these all questions that you received, or basically you you know sat down, you got a bunch of them, but you started to sit down and think about, well, what would be in this situation? You know, are there are there more theoretical questions? The uh, the questions are not academic. The questions are definitely questions that I've received. Uh, at the beginning, I received some questions. Then I put a few posts out on Facebook to ask people. For yeah, once you started Facebook, it went crazy. I'm sure. <laughs> right, started, you know, but but my, one of, some of my first posts were to ask people for examples. 
meaning that they knew that they had heard that happened, you know, etc., etc. And um, and to be honest with you, some of the questions I did feel were academic, but afterwards I heard from people that they weren't at all. Yeah, so for example, someone said to me, does someone with anorexia who doesn't want to eat food need to make a bracha, you know, when she eats? I said, okay, but like someone who, who is in that situation, right? They're, they're, is that really what they're thinking about? And then afterwards I heard from people who are religious, who are in the wards, yes, yes, absolutely. You know, there was a woman who told me, I sent a letter to Rava Viner, you know, with that very question, in order to find out whether I need to make a bracha before I eat. Yes, it's on people's mind. People who are orthodox, who care about halacha, you know, when they're confronted with mental health challenges, still want to be, be religious and still care about all those things. And yes, it comes to mind, you know, all these kinds of questions, absolutely. So I will ask you one more question, and I'll turn it over to my esteemed colleagues. So we, basically, in the area of medicine and Judaism, uh, I would categorize uh, the types of svarim that are written in two major categories. One I would call medical ethics. You know, should we do uh, brain, brain death? You know, it's not just it's a theoretical idea. What does Allah say ethically about performance of autopsies? Or, you know, and, you know the, 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 the limits are endless. On the other hand, there's a whole literature, there's a whole, you know, literature of medical halacha. You know, you're wearing a catheter, can you, can you, daven uh, kriyat shema, or whatever, all these, you know, the many, many unlimited numbers of, there are sets and sets of books on these areas of medical halacha, as well as medical ethics. What kind of book did you write? Did you write a medical ethics book or a medical halacha book? Definitely the latter. Um, definitely medical halacha. Um... It, as you said, it's, it's basically a, a new genre in some sense. In other words, it's a new topic. It has its own, its own rules, in a sense. I think its own halachic uh, methodology, its own halachic rules that need to be studied and understood. And that's why the, the, the nispachim, the, the appendices, are actually much longer than, than the actual book where the psakim are. Um, and once again, it's because I wanted to lay the groundwork for a discussion, for a halachic discussion that can be had, you know, about these concepts and how we should use them uh, in the world of, of mental health. But the second kind of book that you're talking about also needs to be written. And I'm definitely also thinking about that, about a kind of like a second volume which talks about, uh, let's call it spiritual uh, challenges that people go through and, and ethical challenges and that's a, that's a big part. It's not a small part. It's a big part. And I only learned that later on as I started writing and started talking to people. But I realized, absolutely, that's another whole whole thing. So I got a couple more questions, but I'll turn it over to Molly, please. First of all, I just want to say, um, I, I, I couldn't read the whole book this morning. But my husband had it on, on his table. I don't know what he got it like, like Thursday, Friday. Um, but I skimmed it. And I want to thank you for, for what you're doing and contributing. It's absolutely Wonderful and terrific, and, and I think it is groundbreaking. And Thank I just, you. Um, there's a question I've been wanting to ask you for a while, because I've been following you in your work. Because I'm coming from a place that's, I'm coming from a place where I have the experience of being in Jewish education and in Chinuch and kind of students coming to me and asking me, you know, these spiritual guidance questions. And then I also have the experience of working as a clinical therapist um, you know, as, as like a professional in the field of mental health. And what, what, what you're doing, I think, is bridging those two worlds. And in general, I think 
rabbis are in a place, for me, it's, it's not the, I don't bridge it in a halachic way at all, right? Because that's not my field, that's not my area. You're coming from the halachic bridge. And I always think about this question, and, and I think because you've thought this through so deeply, you even alluded, alluded to it, and the fact that you worked so closely with Dr. Harris and you had this favrusa for, I don't know, I forgot how many years, it was it seven years, five years, whatever it was, um, you know, an hour of a week. So um, I think it's so commendable. But for me, the question that's always niggling in the back of my head is it's clear that our community sees its spiritual leaders, usually its community rabbis, as the go-to when they have um, all kinds of questions. And sometimes they ask questions that are beyond the scope of the professional expertise of the spiritual leader. Right. And I always think about that question because on the one hand, let's say, in my hat as a therapist, right, we want to work with communal leaders, we want to collaborate with them because they are the, they're, they're the guides, they're the way in to help the community. At the same time, I'm always very mindful of the question of how do we help the, lead, the, commun the communal leaders, the rabbis, the halachists, know where the lines are, right, that are for them to be able to say, this I can answer, you, you know, and as you kind of said, this is beyond my So I, I would just love to hear, after you've delved into this so intensely, um, I'd love to hear your take on this, because clearly this is something you've, I, I imagine you thought about very, very deeply, because you came to, I think, a very beautiful kind of um, um, conclusion, a, a kind of, you know, production in the book. The book is, the, is, is kind of a, right. is, is an amalgam of those two things. Right. Wow. I mean, that's, that's obviously uh, uh, such an important issue. So uh, I'll try to hit a few major points. Uh, obviously, we won't be able to flush everything out here, flush everything out. Um, I uh, first of all, there's a there's actually a saif in the book about rabbis as metaplim, yeah, as metal. Don't be like that's what I basically say. Like you know, uh, clearly the rabbi has, as I write there, a time honored position, as you yourself just said, of helping people, of uh, being there as like a you know a helpful kind of like ear in, in time of need, etc., etc. But you know, we have to be careful not to become metaplim. When I was when I was uh, at Rav Melamed, Rav Elazar Melamed in Har Bracha, he voiced the, the, an opposition to that. When when I told him that, he said, "I'm not so sure." I said, "What do you mean you're not so sure?" He said, "Well, rabbis actually uh, many times know the person, you know, much much uh, better for many many more years, and they may have a lot of insight as to you know what the person should or should not do, etc., etc., etc." And the rabbi should be in touch with the mental health professional. A mental health professional should, in a sense. Uh, uh, Use the rabbi, utilize the rabbi's knowledge and awareness of the person, you know, in the uh, in the pursuit of making that person's life better. And I think there's something between those two things. In other words, I think that it's it's a hundred percent true that the rabbi has access, not just the rabbi, community members in general, right? Like I always say, I'm taking a little in parentheses, uh, just to say, uh, many times. Right, the mental health professionals, they see people when things have deteriorated significantly because they see the people that come to them. They're not running after people. So once the person is already in the therapist's room or in the psych ward, a lot of times things are already pretty bad, and that's when they get there. Uh, and people in the community can see things when they're still small, when the problems are still still young, still small. So there is something to that, to the idea that a rabbi um, or someone who's in charge of a community, if he opens his eyes and knows what to look for, can help to recognize problems early and send the person in the right direction, refer the person, say, you know, maybe you should think about this or think about that. 
And that's great, you know, if they can do that. But once the person really needs the help, obviously the rabbi should not be doing what he needs to do. Now, in terms of the borderline between that, it's gray for sure, but I'll say, I'll say this is a general, as a general kind of like uh, thing. I think that where there is pain and suffering on an, on an emotional, not emotional, I should say, on, a, on a, an emotional and mental uh, level, that's where the rabbi needs to understand that it's beyond him. In other words, if a person comes to, to, to the rabbi with a, you know, a philosophical question, great, you want to talk about, you know, Muna, etc., etc., go ahead. You know, if the guy has, uh, you know, I don't know, he had a bad breakup and he wants to talk to the rabbi about a bad breakup, so he's hurting emotionally, you know, okay, you can talk. But once it's not just emotional, but also mental, and he has both those, those things, to the extent that the person who's come to you feels like he's losing control, like he can't control what's going on, like it's beyond him. It's not just... Well, that's his level of functioning. Right. You know, therapeutic term would be... Right. That's already something. That's where you need to stop. That's where you need to say, look, I can't handle this. I can't do anything about this. This, you need to go to someone. You know, I think that that's the answer. Rob Johnny. Okay, so so I'm third precisely because uh, I think I know Rav Yoni uh, the most of us three, uh, and I have to say, you know, he's on my speed dial, uh, and and I've been privileged to know you uh, for some years, and and your knowledge, your depth, uh, your sensitivity, and your humility is something which deeply inspires me and impresses me. Um, moreover, I want to say, apart from your chuvot, which is just next to me, Nafshi Bishelati sits pretty much on the closest shelf of my desk. And for anybody who does get this sefer, I'd urge them, don't put it on a high shelf. Because you are going to need to review this, not just to know if you are asked lot how to answer them, but also to know, as Ravioni said just now, how to say I'm not placed to answer them. And, and it, it's humbling to learn so much from this profound sefer, not just in the field of what Dr. Harris has brought uh, to the Sefer, but also what Avioni has done in terms of revealing principles uh, and categorizing um, halachic uh, um, practices and rulings, which until now haven't really been crystallized uh, in the way that he's done so. And, and that's really a remarkable thing. So I want to I wanna ask two questions. I'll start with the first one, to which I kind of know the answer because we've already been in contact since the Sefer was published about a practical issue, uh, um, which is, who is a Sefer for? Meaning, you've published this wonderful sefer. I mentioned it should be, uh, you know, within close reach of anybody, certainly who's involved in halacha. And I think anybody who's struggling with any aspect of mental health, it will give them clarity and relief as well. But in your eyes, who, you know, you know, who should, who should be, who, truth be told, must be. You wouldn't be saying the echo your words. Who must be getting this sefer? Who must have this on the nearest shelf to their desk? Um. That's a tough question because, first of all, I, I, I wanted it to be uh, there for many people. Look, for, for me, the most important thing is that those who are suffering, those who are in pain, have the book. But I know that a lot of the book is not for those people, meaning I know that at the end of the day, the book is full of a lot of uh, you know erudition, a lot of uh, sources, uh, things that I think a layperson might find a bit difficult to get through and to read. You know, I'm aware of that, of course. I think it was necessary in order to do, do two things. To give rabbis uh, the 
clarity of the issues and also the uh, to have them support you know what's in the book and to have make uh, make them understand where things came from so I think that that was important um, you know and that's uh, number one but it also makes even the layperson who doesn't read the long footnotes and the appendices I don't know how to say it feels comfortable when he sees long footnotes you know I mean, even if he wasn't, he's not going to read them. But, you know, it makes him, him feel comfortable. He says, oh, there's X amount of sources. I'm not going to read all those sources. But, you know, okay, it's based on something, you know, so that's good, you know. And and if the person says, this is what I do because of a book, and then someone else, uh, you know, sees them and says, hey, uh, you know, says who? He say, okay, look, I didn't read the, and he can give the book to the person. Say, look, you read it. You see what it's based on. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And that's also good, you know, that there could uh, be a conversation that starts. So my answer is, you know, um, my answer is basically um, that uh, I think that the book is definitely for, uh, meaning I want the book to help people who are suffering. That's the main audience for me. But I know that will also help uh, rabbis come to terms with some of the issues that are discussed. And it will, of course, also help uh, mental health professionals to understand the halachic world, not everybody is religious and you know knows exactly what's going on, and th- people have religious patients and this and that, and you know sometimes they have questions about those things. So that will also help. Okay, we're going to continue to have Yoni. Well, so one more follow-up question, yeah. if that's okay. Well, um, no, hold on. We'll continue to have Yoni in a second. Rav Johnny will follow up after this quick break. Shalom. This is Rav Johnny Solomon. And I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. And we're back. Rev. Johnny, you were asking. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> now I need to remember. <laughs> um, actually, well, I, want to, I want to, in many ways, make a statement. Both Rav Yoni and I, and, and truth with all of us, in, in our own unique ways, have, have made, made the choice to harness social media to share ideas. Uh, and oftentimes to discuss things which others aren't discussing. Um, and actually, and the observation is as, as such. I was lucky to have a Rav who was a, who was a serious Posek. And... And observing the the art of psika many 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 times, not just involving myself, but involving others, is called shimush and sitting and watching and hearing conversations, hearing tones of conversations is crucial and something which I've emphasised very very regularly. That if somebody thinks that they can pass in halach and haven't had meaningful shimush, they can't. But what I also want to say is, even watching the online interactions of Rav Yoni with some of his questioners. Obviously, many of the conversations happen offline, but some begin certainly online. And watching your interactions with them 
is a certain form, I want to be very careful about this, a certain form of shimush. Because when somebody raises a question, how one initially responds is everything, because it either opens doors or closes doors. And so this sefer is remarkable, but as you should say, it comes as a result of many interactions online, offline. But I, if you want to kind of see a rav in the art of psika, you won't see the whole picture on Facebook. That's absurd. But you will see a glimpse. And that glimpse, I think, is compelling because it helps us understand that we people come with very, very sensitive questions. How we respond to them is the beginning of how perhaps they may well feel comfortable and confident to follow through with sometimes very difficult conversations, which can be, and I will say this as well, uh, life-saving, because this sefer is, is it's all about life-saving, and it does so page after page. So I want to thank Arvioni, you. do you feel that people are more willing to reach out to you about their mental health issues because it's through the pseudo-anonymity of Facebook? Meaning they know that, you're, that you have some expertise and they don't know you, so it makes it a little bit easier, or you don't think so? Um, look, there's no real anonymity on Facebook unless you actually sign up as something anonymous, right? If that's your name. Right, you know. but it's, it's definitely but, less personal. They're not yes. members of your show. They yes. could be on the other side of the world. Yes, yes. That's true. Uh, I think that, that was, that's true. I think that's definitely true or was true more at the beginning. I think today people feel comfortable to come to me just because I've become a little bit uh, well-known in this area. So they just... I have to say something, which I think is very, very important. I think, I don't know if everyone will understand, I know Molly will understand, but I'm not sure everyone will because of the mental health world. People feel comfortable to come to me because they don't have to explain so much. In other words, they, they, I, I saw this with, with some people, like, you know, they come to me and they, they start telling me what they, what's going on with them. And then I say to them, I ask a question, whatever it is, doesn't matter. I say, is this happening or is that happening? And I can see on their face the relief. In other words, oh, good, you understand. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to, like, bear my heart and start telling you all the pain and suffering. Like, you get it, you get it. I get, okay, fine, this, this is not going to be a long conversation. Good, you know, like, or not as long as it has to be. Like, I don't have to go through the whole story. And a lot of times, also, when you come to a rabbi uh, and you tell a story, you don't know what the reaction's going to be, you know, like, so also there's, like, this fear, that I'm going to talk for 25 minutes, and then he's not even going to get it, you know, like, so, so what's the point, you know what I'm saying? So therefore, uh, I saw this uh, question online, someone sent me, you know, of a rabbi who I'm sure was trying to do the right thing, seriously. I'm not uh, trying to say, you know, trying to be, uh, you know, unhelpful, but uh, this individual wrote that they're in a psych ward right now, you know, and they, you know, it's very hard for them on Shabbos, they wanted to know, you know, if they can listen to music. So the rabbi said, uh, ask your family to bring you some really interesting books. And God willing, you know? Now, he didn't mean bad, obviously. He wants her to keep Shabbos, I get it. And he thinks that reading the books will help, you know, etc. Uh, I mean, sometimes they could help, you know. It really depends on the person, you know. But a lot of people, that's not enough of a distraction. It's not enough for them to get out of their head. And I'm not going to go into the whole mechanism why they need that, you know. But the distraction is very, very important for some people. And this person is already in the psychiatric ward, meaning their situation is not good. Yeah, so they're definitely at least a Cholish and maybe even worse. You know, you can't know from the question, it's not so clear, but uh, my point is like that's a that, when, when someone gets an answer like that, I wasn't there when she got the answer, I'm pretty sure she was disappointed. She was disappointed that the Rav didn't get it. She wasn't disappointed with the answer. 
She was disappointed that she went to all the trouble of asking, and that was the response. It, it's it's a disappointing response because it doesn't recognize the problem. And what I what so I, to me that speaks to a lack of either a recognition of mental illness for what it really is, or just a simple lack of awareness of the parameters of mental illness, and therefore you know rabbis need training right. in you know what I'm so that. Or, on the other hand, maybe it's just not reasonable, like I as a rabbi or any rabbi can't know all the ramifications of every halachic procedure, of every medical procedure. So therefore, we need experts in, you know, in mental health as well. And they're I, able to... I, 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 I agree with you. I'm just pointing out that people... I'll say it a different way. I am not the first person people call. I am the last person people call. In other words, people who are suffering from mental health, what's the order, more or less? They try to deal with it on their own. That's first of all. That's for X amount of time. And then after that, maybe they talk, talk to a friend or to a parent. They try to deal with it in-house. Then we go to therapy, right? If that doesn't work. And after everything, maybe psych ward, if things get really bad, and then me, right? In other words, I'm last on the list. People don't come like out of the gate and they call me. So so my point is, they have, they have gone through a lot. They're tired when they come to a rabbi. They're tired. They're tired of carrying this around. They're tired of suffering. They're tired. They're in pain. And for the rabbi, after all that, not to understand them, it's not just a bump in the road. It's a slap in the face. In other words... Yeah, I was going to say, disappointing was a, was a very kind... <laughs> I would have gone with something closer to... on the, on the order of devastating. Even. Right. Right. No, but I don't know if it's fair. I mean, I'm not, the rabbi... I'm not criticizing the rabbi. I'm, that's why I'm with Ravioni here. The rabbi had wonderful intentions, but I'm understanding what Ravioni is saying about the person who has taken all of their kachot to reach out and share something, share how vulnerable they are, share that they're, that they're, they're so vulnerable that, they're, that, they're on the, that they have to ask a question of breaking Shabbos. Yeah. How hard it is to face that in themselves, how hard that is to share with somebody else, and then to, what, what everybody wants is to be seen and heard and understood. So to, to do that and, with, and for the person on the other side with the best and kindest and most wonderful of intentions, and not be able to give that to them is 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 so painful, and you're talking about a person who's already in a very very fragile emotional state. So I think Yoni's um, saying is really really on point, and he's not he's not criticizing the rabbi. He's just right. why why would his work is so important? And why and well, why I feel I like people one, come like, to me because they feel like they don't need they, to they go know, through that, that process. Yeah. Right. Uh, I was going to say uh, we, we're talking about the person, and that's absolute. That's central. A further thing, I, I can't speak about yourselves, but I, I've been to numerous mental health wards. And unless you've actually physically been to somewhere like that, you also can't answer. Because you need to understand the place. Meaning there's a person, there's also, in this case, the place. If you haven't been to a place like that, if you don't understand the doors, if you don't understand, oftentimes, a sense of profound imprisonment, if you don't understand aspects of visitation and profound loneliness, that's a side meaning, by the way, you, you don't need... To, obviously, in these questions we've said, we've highlighted, we've emphasized the importance of a deep understanding of, of matters of mental health and halacha. But there's matter of what's a shetach, what's the place like? And if you haven't been there, I do think you're not qualified to answer because how on earth can you understand what Shabbos is in a place like this? And if you haven't been to a place at least similar to that, uh, that that's crazy. And so there are certain minimum qualifications, not just about study, uh, where one obviously needs to study Sfarim and wonderful books of Nafshi Be'i but going out to the field and visiting people, which, by the way, a good community rabbi does. 
you know, you, you've been to these places because it's perfectly likely that some of your congruents have been to these places. But not only are you helping them, but you're learning. You're learning for the next time and you'll know. And when somebody calls and they say, I'm somewhere, somewhere like this, you say, I get that too. And that further kind of gives weight to the question because there's uh, a, you know, an understanding of, of what's going on in a place like that and why they're so desperately in need of that kind of calmness and, and uh, feeling comfort. Okay, we only got a couple minutes left. Ravione, I want to ask you a couple more questions. The first one is, is in relation to definitions and diagnoses. Sometimes the diagnosis is clearer. You know, in, in medical areas, we'd like to think that a diagnosis is very clear. Your person has X, then the halacha says Y. We'd like to think so. Usually we do think so, whether that's true or not. In mental health issues, obviously there are situations where a person is in sakana, and it's obvious in and, and, and other areas. But are the, are the diagnoses as clear, meaning that uh, you have a psychiatrist or a psychologist who says you have X, and therefore halacha can say, okay, in situation X, it's Y, or is it more uh, flexible, and therefore it requires a much more, a greater uh, sense of sensitivity to the issues so that the halacha can be applied? Is that a clear, is that a good yeah, question? Yeah, of course. I don't know if it's a, a fantastic question. Um, and a question that really is not just aimed at me, but also at uh, mental health professionals in general. And uh, if you talk to mental health professionals, you'll realize that, you know, they can disagree, you know, how you say, like, you know, two Jews, three opinions, you know, it's a little bit like that also sometimes in mental health. Uh, right, but halacha doesn't work that way. The halacha says, so, if you forgot Yalav Yavo after, right. you know, Shema Koleidu, then you go back to what, you know what I'm saying, whatever. So let me, let me explain something that I think is fundamental about, about these things. It's true for mental health, too. The book was hard to write, okay? Why was the book hard to write? Because uh, I couldn't just use the words, the buzzwords, the names. The names mean almost nothing, even to a therapist. In other words, if someone walks in, right, I asked, at the beginning when I used to ask questions, <laughs> it was like it was like talking to the wall because I used to ask questions and people would tell me, I can't answer that question, every case is different. Every time they, I said something, like every case is different. But the reason that, it, that that was the answer was because I asked a question like this. I said, okay, let's say someone has depression, can they listen to music on Shabbat? That's a dumb question. It's not asked right. Why is it not asked right? Because any, any therapist will tell you, I don't know, what the heck is depression? What are the symptoms? What's the history? What are they actually going through? Explain to me what's going on. They need a description of the case more than they need you to use the word depression. In the same way bipolar or borderline personality disorder or, or, or schizophrenia, all these things, right? They're just words. And yes, they point you in a certain direction, right? Like if I hear OCD, I probably won't ask about uh, suicidal ideation. Not that it can't happen with OCD, but... You know, that's not the first place I go. Well, I, when I hear about depression, it's probably, I'm going to go in that direction. I'm going to ask, you know, whether there is that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's more common in that situation. So, so it's a signpost, fine. But the point is, you're right. The definitions are not helpful in terms of the names. However, however, uh, whether you define it by one or other uh, diagnosis, everybody can see the person's in pain and suffering. They may disagree whether it's uh, borderline personality or bipolar disorder, and sometimes people do disagree about those things, specifically. But, uh, but the point is that uh, either way, the person's clearly suffering and needs help. And halachically, not that the diagnosis doesn't matter, because it does, but what Molly said before about functional consequences, that's significant, right? So if there are functional consequences for the person, I don't know that it would matter 
so much what the diagnosis is when I can see the functional consequences. Luckily, it's easier for me in that sense. It just sounds to me you need such a great, such a deep awareness of the mental health issues in order to be even able to even come, you know, begin to discuss or have any sense. You know what I'm saying? I understand people's exhaustion on the one hand, but as a rabbi, I would say, like, I, I don't even know if I want rabbis touching this stuff for the simple reason that it's beyond them. They're not really going to understand. They might give a, like you said, an incredibly insensitive answer out of, out of you know what I'm saying? There are areas where right. the answer itself might be, might cause damage. For sure. And maybe it's better that, I mean, your book is amazing, of course. It's very important to open it up and, and expose, but I'm not sure it's something you want every rabbi touching. You know, like, just like I'm not sure you want every rabbi giving answers on, you know, the ICU and whether we should wait, do, wait, wait, can I know, just say one transplants thing? and things like that. But at um, least now, if they're going to have this safer, they're going to know what they know and what they don't know. And at least they'll be mm-hmm. able to maybe say, you know what, I'm not the person to ask to ask the Shiloh to. Um, or give me a second, I need to call Ravioni, or they'll give the person a name of a Rav, right? At least this puts it on the table and raises that awareness. It sounds to me that this is a job one of Magle Nefesh is rabbinic training for my mental That was my issues. next question, Ravioni. What are your future, if any, plans? Um, you know, now that the Sefer is written, you have this organization. Right. Has any future? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Look, uh, as as uh, as uh, as Paul just said, um, absolutely. We're, we the first thing we decided to do with our non nonprofit uh, Magle Nefesh was to create rabbinic training. Uh, we were in the midst of our third course already, um, and this one is for Rabbaniyot and Yotzat Halachai, etc., etc. Here in Israel. Here in Israel, yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We have requests from Chutzlarts as well, so we're definitely going to uh, create a Zoom option. Uh, it'll probably be hybrid, like I'll go in for some of the sessions and, and do some of the sessions over Zoom. Um, so we're going to do that. We're opening up a hotline, God willing, in a month. Uh, it's not really a hotline in the sense that you can call 24-7, but it is definitely um, something which... Um, they can leave you a WhatsApp. <laughs> there we go. They'll leave you a WhatsApp message. Um, <laughs> Not you or whatever. It's all good. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, the, uh, uh, you know, so there's, there's definitely the ability to, uh, you know, to contact us if we want to create. People can, can... Look, I always say every question, right? You, you've all answered Shilas, I'm sure, in the past. Usually a regular Shila. You know, you know your stuff. You answer it within a minute or two. It's not long. Sometimes even less. You know, you send a WhatsApp. You know, like yes, no, kosher, not kosher, whatever it is. Uh, this is not like that here. Um, with these things, we're talking about usually 20 minutes minimum. You know, of because uh, you have to hear, you have to listen, you have to understand what's going on. And besides the shaila, there's something else going on here. There's a whole empathy part, and there's there's lots to do. You know, so it's not just uh, yes, no, maybe. You know, it's it's much more than that. So, therefore, it takes time. So, we're gonna have people uh, book sessions, etc., etc. We also, uh, of course, very much into raising awareness. You know, so I'm lecturing all over the place, and that's very, very important to me. Um, and uh, we want to open up branches in Chutzlaret and this and that. So, there's a lot going on. So, interestingly, uh, my last question I wrote down is: how, how has been? Have you had any interaction with the with the more Haredi world? When it comes to this book, because you know you, you're you're a modern Orthodox or whatever you want to call yourselves, religious Zionist rabbi, the book looks like religious Zionist, and I'm sure that was intentional. It was not, it was not like uh, you know the Gemara is behind you, but it's more you know like designed in such a way, the more colorful um, 
right. um, binding. Right. And, and I'm sure that was a conscious choice. So have you had any feedback from the more yeshivish circles, more right-wing circles? And if so, what has it been? Uh, when I wrote the book, I, uh, I made a decision to um, uh, basically go around and ask as many Orthodox Rabbanim as I could for Pesachim. Uh, the reason was, uh, I mean, it's cool to name drop, but that wasn't the main reason. Uh, the main reason was that people who opened the book would uh, be so mechanic, you know, and everyone has a rav that they dislike, and everyone has a rav that they like, so I knew that if I only asked one person, people would be like, ah, him, you can't trust him, you know, etc., which I did hear about pretty much everyone in the book, by the way, at different times, uh, you know, and even uh, great uh, post, I'm not going to say names, you know, but people said, oh, you can never trust that guy, you can never trust that guy, okay, whatever. Everyone has the person that they like or that they dislike. I wanted to make sure that I got as much of a gamut. It was also important because it was a new topic, but not just because of that. Um, and I also went to Haredi Rabbanim to the extent that I could. I tried to reach out to several. Uh, you know, Rav Asher Weiss was someone that I met several times. Rav Liawa Barzil, who's a Haredi, Sephardi, Posek. And Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein once uh, also, uh, also wrote him a letter, and he's uh, written quite a bit. Um, so... You know, we, we, uh, but that's, that's my next big challenge, is to also enter the Haredi world. And I'm already getting some questions from there, but there's a lot more to do. There's a lot more to do, and probably not a little bit of, like, there's an awareness of mental health, but, like, you know, an, uh, an unwillingness to bring it out into the open in such a way, that's a big challenge as well. All right, we're going to have to wrap it up here. I, I very much, oh, wait, last thing, Ravioni, if somebody wants the book, where do they get it from? Uh, they can go into the, into the website, uh, Koran. You know, into the Korean website, and they can oh, publish by Korean. Okay, and, and they, they can, can just order it easily. Order international. I you have to. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Or could they, they could just call you or find you on Facebook and ask you to send it to them. In That's the, in the probably room. possible. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and to share your incredible work. Thank you. Hu should bring you tremendous bracha and hatzlacha and comfort to the Amen. many many people Amen. who you will help and, and, and bring solace and comfort to and help them navigate just such a difficult time in a halachic way. So yeshakoach to you and you should be matzliach. Thank you so much. Alright, to our listeners, thanks very much for joining us. If you have comments or questions uh, for us, we didn't really say anything this time, nothing controversial. You know how to find Rav Yoni, just look up for, look for your, Rav Yoni Rosenzweig on the Facebook. Uh, he's pretty much out there. He's pretty, hard, pretty easy to find, correct? Would you say that? Okay, so. and... Uh, uh, and uh, you can see he's, in, he's, he's making more and more trips to Chutzaris, more and more scholars and residents. So uh, if you're a rabbi or an educator, bring him to your community. This has been really fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you.